0: We often hear the words, be the change you want to see in the world, and we wonder how we might accomplish that. Is it through activism, attitude, or flexing our voting muscles? While it might be all three, it surely starts with being ourselves and bringing that to the world. But how do you do that when you feel like maybe you are too old or too insignificant in the first place?
1: I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan.
0: And in today's episode of The Grand Life, we are going to explore how we can, in our later years, be essential contributors to social change. If you worry that we are invisible or no one really cares about our opinion, take heart. I'm pretty sure today's conversation might empower you to join a cultural leadership conversation that is starting to happen and can make a difference.
1: Dr. Lindsay Farrell is the co-founder and executive director of the Grandmother Collective, a global nonprofit organization that is supporting a movement to raise the profile of grandmothers and elders as essential contributors to social change. Dr. Farrell is a cultural anthropologist who worked in youth development and social innovation for two decades, mainly in sub-Saharan Africa. Hello, Dr. Farrell, and welcome to The Grand Life.
0: Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. You know, when Mike reads that bio, I'm just blown away at what you've already done because you'd think um, you were an old person, but you are not. <laughs> <laughs> so you have accomplished um, a lot.
2: I don't know. I feel like just recently, because I've made this shift from youth to, you know, grandmothers and, and you know, been thinking about this new aging and longevity, mm-hmm. that I have had a a bit of a midlife,
0: reframing or something so
2: (laughs) not old but also not as young as I once felt
0: well that's good because with age comes wisdom right (laughs) (laughs) so uh, what is your main reason uh, behind creating this grandmother collective that we're talking about and how did you go from this become maybe a dream into a reality
2: you know, I, I worked in youth development and social innovation uh, for many years. My my dissertation research was focused on youth um, self-help groups in um, an informal settlement in the city of Nairobi, Kenya, where I lived for many years and ran a study abroad program. And I had gotten very, very negative or cynical about the role that development could play in advancing people's Uh, futures, Hmm. mainly because the development um, institutions that I was interacting with that were there to serve youth um, were doing so in really Eurocentric and, you know, Western ways and not being Nearly as effective, I think, as as they could be. And the young people, my whole dissertation was really about how young people like navigated and sort of manipulated the system Mm. rather than like actually, you know, having these transformative experiences that they should have. And ultimately, there were good. There was good of that. Um, Give an
1: example of what you mean by this Eurocentric approach to supporting what what, uh, teens need.
2: Well, especially in a place like Nairobi, Kenya, you have a very useful population, something like 80% are under the age of uh, 35. So this is an incredibly young population. And um, when they move to the city seeking, you know, this urbanization without industrialization, so they all end up, you know, kind of dumping into these big slums. And there is not a lot of job prospects or, or economic opportunity and yet the youth development programs that I kept interacting with were coming in with, you know, job readiness kind of conversations mm. or, you know, dumping everyone into vocational training.
1: Assuming development that hadn't happened.
2: Yes. And then even the universities were prepping students for um, no job opportunity. And like one of the places, Lagos, Nigeria, you, you would have like, a government call for civil servants and 6,000 people would show up for 200 jobs. Oh, wow. And there's a very famous case in Abuja, which is uh, the sort of legislative capital of Nigeria where there was a stampede and people died oh, during wow. one of these
0: like uh, a job recruitment fair campaigns.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was like a job. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a, everyone was expected to show up in white. I don't know. There was like a <laughs> physical part of it. Anyway, huh. it's very famous that there was a stampede. So to get to the grandmothers. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> to get to the grandmothers. I was on the board of an organization called the Grandmother Project. It's a woman that I met while doing this work. Um, And she asked me to be on her board as an anthropologist. They work in Southern Senegal. And there was, uh, you know, a real need to change harmful cultural practices. Mm -hmm. Um, In Southern Senegal, you have uh, girls that are still being subjected to female circumcision. They're still you know, getting kind of trapped in, in uh, forced marriages or, or arranged marriages mm-hmm. at very young ages. And a lot of the perpetuation of those cultural practices comes often through grandmothers or aunties or, you know, they're really the ones who like perform those rituals. Hmm. So a lot of development organizations in these regions exclude them. They assume oh. they're wrong. Okay. They just, they're going to be harmful rather than bringing them along as co-leaders and co-agents of change. Interesting. Because what basically Judy Abel at The Grandmother Project learned was that if you did that, these women were actually undoing a lot of the work of the development organizations because they're still incredibly influential. While on the board of The Grandmother Project, um, my co-founder Jen Hanks-Hilaire and I were both on the board, we yeah. started talking during the pandemic about ways that we could help and support The Grandmother Project, but also realizing that there was something bigger here, that actually the role that, an, that older women can play in community programming everywhere, including here in the United hmm. States, could be massive. And that it was this really untapped, abundant resource that the world was ignoring or that you know older women are here doing work, but it's really invisible. Um, and so yeah, we we just started talking, really kind of doing this in our spare time, um, but started to to see if if there were other organizations out there that saw it this way and and they were. So we've built a membership organization now.
0: Yeah, so you're talking, when you say bigger, you mean universal, not just yeah. just uh, women who are suggesting female circumcision. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a universal movement with grandmothers. And I'm curious, you know, you talk about grandmothers can change things because of their influence. What kind of changes would you like to see, not just with grandmothers in other cultures, but in our own culture? I
2: think one of the things, and this is happening globally, is that we have we know we have aging populations. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, was talking. There's a, a Mark Friedman who yeah. was the founder of Encore and then now CoreGenera right. was uh, just telling us that you know it's actually not about aging populations, about it's more about age diversity. That we're like navigating a world where there's just so much more age diversity, and at, at the same time, we're very age segregated. Yeah we go to school with only people that are the same age as us. We mm-hmm. retire to retirement homes with people that are the same age as us. We have removed a lot of the spontaneous interactions that mm-hmm. that actually, I think it's really, uh, you know, as an anthropologist, like it is wired into us to be multi-generational for most of humanity. We've been multi-generational living uh in multi-generational homes. We know also from grandmothers and grandfathers, and you probably know this better than me from the work you're doing <laughs> in this podcast, yeah. that there's a gap that people feel
0: absolutely
2: when they can't connect with their grandchildren or they don't have. Mm-hmm. You know that interaction with people across generations, and it's felt from the youth too. Yes. So I think what we're really trying to do is say we want to shine a light on this challenge of mm-hmm. how do we how do we reconnect back yeah. to each other?
0: Yeah. So you're looking for organic intergenerational uh, relationships. Yeah. Is that what I'm hearing?
2: I mean, of course, there's institutions and we're, yeah. we're you know, bringing them together. We're talking about, you know, programs and projects that people could be instilling. But at the same time, I'm also trying to talk to a lot of people about how do we even just build in those uh, organic interactions? There's a, there's this movement, maybe, you know, of like age friendly cities, and mm-hmm. that's really yes. about just making sure people are near each other.
0: So that those kinds of interactions can happen.
1: Believe right. it or not, we did an episode on that. Yes. Oh, I'm we, sure we, actually, did.
0: <laughs> we just moved from an area that that is working with the city government for that because that is, I mean, when I say organic, obviously it might not start that way because right. we are so far removed from that in many ways. So it wouldn't be organic to start with. Right. But no. we have to build in those programs in order to create organic <laughs> it kind of yes. sounds funny and but it'd
2: be very intentional yes. and one of the things that i found after working in development and you know in a urban african city was that the intention would be there that they were trying to like you know provide new empowerment tools and have young people lead themselves and but it quickly can become you know a new industry <laughs> Like this yeah. whole new nonprofit NGO industry. And so it's really, for me, because grandmothers can do this without getting paid a lot of the time, although mm-hmm. I think in some instances where we have socioeconomic challenges that there should be stipends and things like that, yeah. but that for the most part, they're volunteering that there's a more sustainable approach in this, I think than these, like, nonprofit NGO churning of, you know, development projects.
0: I'm hearing you, and I'm wondering, uh, you know, this is supposedly universal, but, but do we have the same problems here in this culture as they have there? I mean, what you were seeing? So, no, I don't. No, we
2: don't. Thinking about it just from like a a perspective of of a social category, like grandmother, Mm -hmm. is that we are saying they could solve a lot of problems and they should be solving problems in the context within which they're living. Mm. So for example, we did a pilot with an organization in Chicago called JPA. They really ran it, but we were kind of an inspiration and we supported. And this pilot in Chicago was about supporting some work that JPA was doing in Chicago public schools. And so they brought in grandmothers from that community who are super well-versed in the local challenges. They know all the characters. They know how these things work. They went to the schools. Mm -hmm. And they... Came in and they generated the solution. Hmm. And now we're going to a community center in Eastern Kentucky. This is a former coal camp. They have had compounding challenges from opioid crisis, COVID-19, which actually in an aging population that they have did a lot of damage. They had a, a historic storm last year that left people without homes and the coal mines have closed. So with them, their challenges don't look the same as the Chicago challenges. Yeah, right. Right. This is a very rural population and it's them as the resource. That's the thing that we're going after.
1: So what are the essentials of the program that do travel well, that don't have to be relocalized as you look at having influences in uh, different kinds of communities, cultures and need sets?
2: There's a couple things. But first, we think there's grandmother, they're universals, things like Grandmothers are always responsible for ritual making, Mm -hmm. like they are responsible for rites of passage. It's it's those moments that you can really challenge things. They often are caretakers. They often exhibit an incredible empathy and um, future orientation. They really want the world to change for the better. Um, and those kind of universals, we actually talk about in a couple different ways. I like to use the word grandma magic, like that there's just this like extraordinary qualities that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is also sacredness, right? That we know across the world that older women can really hold a sacred spiritual space within cultures. So yeah. those things, those travel well. We use those to basically uh, remind the grandmothers of their power. And so we talk about culture, we talk about leadership, and we talk about change. And so the culture part is how do we, how do you understand the the space that you inhabit and and revisit and reignite that power? Uh, Leadership is supporting them to understand that they actually have the solutions and that they can arise to them. So this is a training program that we've built. And then the final one is actually to expose them to a variety of models of different change that that we've seen across the world. And a lot of those travel. So um, there's an organization called the Friendship Bench founded in Zimbabwe, about uh, really supporting mental health amongst uh, mostly young women in a place that was seeing a, a rise in things like suicide and depression. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have the mental health uh, support that they needed or therapists like actual professionals. So they trained up grandmothers and those grandmothers got like basic cognitive behavioral therapy training. They sit on benches outside clinics. It reduces stigma and the kinds of interactions that you're hoping to get to replicate that, you know, confidant that is the grandmother. Yeah. Is happening through those kinds of things. And the Friendship Bench, like it just opened one somewhere in Central America. I don't remember the place, but like it it travels, right? So some of these models just really easily can be adopted and adapted.
0: I, you know, I love everything you're saying. And even just listening to you talk about it makes me feel a little more empowered. But I do know from speaking to many grandmothers that, and I'm going to play the devil's advocate here just That's a fine. little bit. I think many of them feel a little Diminished, like their their influence isn't important, and they're yeah. feeling like they have wisdom to offer, but nobody wants to hear it. Yeah. Is that a cultural thing, or is that what is that, or how do you get no. around that? Well, I don't think
2: it's specific to the United States anymore. Okay. I don't. Hmm. Um, I actually was speaking with um, a woman in Western Kenya, hmm. but one of the things that she's really trying to do is solve a problem of lonely elders mm-hmm. who are not being cared for anymore mm-hmm. in rural Africa in a place that everybody knows like respects elders like that is a core tenet of of, of like african culture that you respect your elders right. and yet she's seeing this huge rise in elder loneliness in rural in rural western kenya mm-hmm. and this and she wants to she was like i really want to pair that with unemployed youth like, I, I feel like there's a like an immediate connection yeah. there, mm-hmm. but it's overcoming a stigma that has arisen there as well, that older okay. people and it's I mean, it's really these youth programs that I was talking about, like they have, yeah. they've like reduced the 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 value of that wisdom. Yes. And it, so we see it everywhere.
0: Lindsay, there is so much we could talk about, and I feel like we're going to have to have you back sometime. But, you know, before we go, can you tell us a little bit about your own podcast that you've just started? Isn't it called Magic in the world? Grandma
2: Magic. Yeah. Grandma Magic. Yes, um, we actually published four, but have many, many uh, interviews in the works. It comes out every two weeks. Um, and it's really to tell the stories of Grandma Changemakers. Um, A, to inspire and excite grandmothers. Yeah. Uh, maybe give them some inspiration and uh, tools for navigating the this- feeling of disempowerment that they have. And we're so aware of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're trying to, you know, make it global. So we're still, you know, talking to folks mainly in the U S but also around the world. And it's been really fun. Oh, good. And then I also wanted to, you know, tell anyone who's out there to check out our website. We are uh, producing a few tools. One of which is, um, we're, it's called the tea for change kit. We're using tea, uh, because it's, actually quite feminine around the world like women hosting tea parties Uh um the role that tea has played and and feminism and other things but tea for change kit which is a a toolkit for bringing your community together having that culture leadership change conversation and um yeah so it's it's available for free to download on our website
0: Great. We will have that in our show notes. Dr. Farrell, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I hope our uh, listeners will go over to Grandmother Collective and kind of get a sense of what you're doing, because I think it's very important. And we look forward to hearing more from you. Yes, thank you so much. I don't know about you, Mike, but after hearing Dr. Farrell talk, I'm pretty convinced that there's a sea change among our generation. I mean, we're kind of tired of being put on the back burner and we're ready to use our voice to make some changes in the way we're viewed and how we're listened to.
1: Well, yeah, that's going to take some work and maybe some training. And I think maybe that's why the Grandmother Collective exists. That's Lindsay's organization and her website. Even though she spent a lot of time in Africa, what she is encouraging can work anywhere grandparents want to move forward with bolder voices and with work that's more impactful. So if you would like to learn more, visit GrandmotherCollective.org, GrandmotherCollective.org, on the web. You can sign up there for their newsletter, and you can have a listen to their podcast, which is called Grandmom Magic.
0: We grandparents are all working together for the common good of our grands. So with that in mind, Mike and I are going to be speaking at a grandparenting online forum about the dangers of comparative grandparenting. It might be that you see other grandparents on social media who you feel are better at grandparenting than you are. It might be that you compare yourselves to other sets of grandparents involved in your grandchild's life. So whatever is causing you to feel like you're not good enough is probably harmful to you and your grands. So let's talk about it.
1: We'll be having that conversation during the Grandparents Academy, the week of September 10th through 16th during Grandparents Week. You can find information in our show notes or simply go to grandparentsweek.com. And there you can sign up for a free general admission ticket to the event. Again, that's the week of September 10th. Hope to see you there.
0: In the meantime... I'm Emily Morgan.
1: And I'm Mike Morgan.
0: And thanks for joining us in Living the Grand Life.
1: Next time on The Grand Life.
0: Because these are our children, where at one point in time, we did have two children or four children in our home navigating all of this, that that that's encoded into us. And we often feel pulled to help ease the way. Forgetting that our children are now adults
1: who are capable of working in corporations and and they deal with conflict and they negotiate all the time. So they actually most likely do have the skill sets needed, but we feel pulled as parents. That's next time on The Grand Life.